everybody, it's Jonah. I'm here with Artem, and we wanted to record a little bit of a different intro for you today. So as I was editing the episode and kind of processing everything, the uh, obviously the Ukraine situation happened, and Artem and I talked about it. He wanted to say a couple of words in the beginning here, so I wanted to give him a platform to do so. Artem, what do you, what do you have to say, man? Yeah, I mean, everything that's happening right now is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, for those people who have heard about the attack on the nuclear power plant, the biggest one in the country, I'm sorry, in uh, Europe, that's my home city, right? So it's uh, it's definitely heartbreaking to see it. Um, there's been a lot of moments where we got to see the most beautiful parts of humanity with all the help um, during the darkest times of humanity in probably our generation. So there's been a lot of aid um, and even after all this is over, Ukraine's still going to need aid um, for those who have local organizations or local churches around. All I ask is that you work with them and not just now while it's front and center, but continue to do so because a country like America can't recover from a hurricane Sandy for five, 10 years. So there's still people recovering a country in East, uh, in Eastern Europe that's being bombed and burned, they're now going to recover in a couple months. It is going to take decades and people are gonna need help. So um, work with your local organizations as people come, start coming across to this side of the world, um, just be friendly, open up your contacts, help them uh, get stabilized, make sure they don't get burned. There's in every, unfortunately in every situation like this, there's uh, the vultures who wanna rip people off. There's going to be people who try to pretend that it costs money to work with a recruiter. There's going to be people who just try to rip people off, right? Just be the, the guide to say like, hey, in America, this doesn't fly. Here's the right way to do it. And um, I'm collecting items to send out to Ukraine. Um, Jonah's going to post my um, UPS box um, directly um, for those who are would rather donate. Um, donate to a Red Cross, donate to a local uh, charity that's uh, sending money out. Um, I also have my personal Venmo. I have no problem sharing that information as well through Jonah. Jonah's going to post it. But um, for those who don't feel comfortable going through me, not a problem. That's not, that's not what it's about. This is about raising awareness. I am sending money directly to people I know. And um, we are buying baby food as often as we can as it gets delivered. And um, through friends of friends, it's being driven around to people who are still in shelters and people who don't have the means of even getting baby food. Um, but just donate, do uh, donate, help out an organization. Um, and don't forget about this in two or three weeks, just uh, stay vigilant and um, make it a quarterly thing, make it a monthly thing to just check in make a small donation, whether it be manpower or um, monetarily or donations of items, it's going to go a long way. I appreciate it, Artem. And like Artem said, I'll, I'll link everything down below. Um, we'll get into the episode, but keep Ukraine in your thoughts and prayers, everybody.
Hi, everybody. It's Jonah Pallone, and welcome to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. If you're interested in learning about the stories of American small business owners and why small business is great for our country, this is the podcast for you. In my role at Midstreet, helping people sell their companies throughout the Southeast, I've been fortunate enough to get a behind-the-scenes look at the lives and organizations of hundreds of business owners. I created Owner Operated to let you in behind the curtain. Follow me on this journey and subscribe to my newsletter at jonahpalone.com. Okay, Artem, thank you for coming, my friend. Um, <laughs> the audience has no idea what we've just been through <laughs> with the technical difficulties, but we are now here. Um, so first question for you, how do you introduce yourself at parties? So I introduce myself as Artem. I don't go by my last name. And after a while, I started introducing myself as John at bars just because it's easier to say, hey, my name is John as opposed to Artem. And that started as a running joke that after a few shots, I become... John and not Artem, right? <laughs> but it's to the point where people are like, how do you say your name? And then yeah. I tell them, just call me John. And John became a second nickname of mine. Okay. So, because, you know, for the audience that doesn't know, you're you're actually from the Ukraine, right? Yes, I am. Okay. So, we'll get into your backstory, but I want to give people sort of a primer on who you are and what you do, because it's fascinating to me. Um, so, let's start start with that. Just tell me a little bit about your story. What, what do you do today? Kind of where you're at? And then we'll get into your backstory and how you got to where you are. But, but what does Artem do right now? When, you, when you're at a party, someone shakes your hand and they say, Artem, what do you do? What do you tell? What do you tell them? I hesitate, and I have to compose my thoughts and see, figure out which party I'm at and what my audience is. But right now, I'm a residential real estate investor. I own a franchise, a restoration franchise called Advanaclean. I just purchased another franchise, uh, an Ace Handyman franchise, and I'm also an adjunct professor. So depending on where which com- conversation I'm having, I tell people I'm one of those things or a mixture of both. Okay. Which one are you most proud of at this point? I think they're all interconnected. I can't say I'm more proud of one or the other. I'm proud of all those in different ways. And also, I would not have all four if I did not have all four of that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? They're yeah. all building blocks are all interconnected. And if I didn't have the one, the others probably would have never happened. Yeah. And you strip away any one of those, the other three might crumble. Makes sense. Okay. So let's talk about your background and, and how you got to where you are today. So you're from the Ukraine. Um, I guess walk through your story a little bit for me. Yep. So came here when I was 10, uh, back in 2002, which gives you an idea of how old I am. Um, you can do the math. Um, didn't know English for the most part. Um, the no child left behind bill had just passed. I got pretty sure I got an A in math, failed everything else. And they're like, yeah, pass this kid. He, he would do just fine. Um, fast forward to high school, was bored out of my mind my sophomore year, almost failed sophomore year of high school, almost failed gym. How, how do you fail gym? You don't put on your uniform. We had we had to wear uniforms in gym. I refused to. Um, That's really because like I had a sprained a sprained uh, thumb. Couldn't participate anyways. But they made me put on a uniform. I wasn't gonna do that. So almost failed out sophomore year. So then halfway through my sophomore year, had a teacher by the name of Miss Kushner. Can't forget her. Um, 
taught English. We had to do our career track, college, pre-SAT prep stuff, right? Um, and I remember her saying like, hey, you three, pointing at my table and the other two. Um, she, she was like, you know, high school or colleges don't really look at your whole entire um, high school career. If you get your act together, your junior and senior year, mm-hmm. you get into college. Uh, okay. So You're like, I still have a chance at this point. Yeah, right? Like, I didn't even think college was even a thing for me at that point. So, moved after my sophomore year from Pennsylvania to Connecticut. Didn't know anybody. Was bored out my mind the entire summer. Wasn't old enough to work most places. Plus, we're in the middle of the recession. So, the retail jobs are going to individuals with bachelor's and master's degrees or seven years of edu- of uh, experience, not 16-year-old kids without driver's license, right? Mm-hmm. So I read the student handbook back and forth many a times, and I was like, wait a second, I can graduate early. So convinced my advisor to let me graduate early so I can go back to Pennsylvania and go see my friends and get into college in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Graduate early. Um, Everything lines up. I get accepted into your college of Pennsylvania, and I'm a Western Connecticut alum. So I everything worked out except for the part where I actually made it back to PA because yeah. my mother was like, "You're not gonna live on your own at 16, so you're commuting to school." So that's kind of my background story. Um, studied accounting at Western Connecticut. Um, Got through the program in three years as well. I overloaded uh, one summer on credits because I realized it was cheaper for me to bust out 24 credits in the summer than it was to pay for dorming, right? So, Makes sense. Um, so you were always a kind of a math kid. Yeah, I mean, like, I, math makes sense. That being said, the highest math class I ever took was stats. I yeah. never took pre-calc, never took pre-trig, never took trig or calc. Okay. Most people I know have taken higher math classes than I have. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So so walk me through that point. So you're in Connecticut now, or I guess so you had to stay in Pennsylvania with your mom? Is that how it worked? Nope. Uh, we were in Connecticut. I went to Got school it. in Connecticut for the three years, um, studied accounting. Okay. Um, why did I study accounting? Well... I got a $1,000 scholarship if I entered the university as an accounting major, and I just never switched it. (laughs) I wish that was a lie, but it was, I didn't feel like switching it. And then after a while, I started reading all the Yahoo Finance and all the other articles of like top 10. Top top careers. Yeah, or top 10 lowest unemployment. I was like, well, accounting is consistently top five, and I don't hate it, so I'll just stick through it. Makes sense. Okay. So... But you're in this sort of traditional trajectory still, based on what you've said so far. Um, you're gearing up for an accounting career. You graduate school. What happens next? Um, I got a job in got a job part time in Danbury. Really didn't want to leave Danbury. My mother was in Edison, New Jersey at this time. So if you don't know how far it is from Edison to Danbury, it's about a two and a half hour drive each way. Okay. Um, decided. The best thing I can do is commute from Edison to Danbury two or three times a week for part-time work. Decisions were made. Not necessarily good ones. <laughs> they were just made, right? Yeah. Um, ended up going full-time at that company um, in October after graduation. And then start, funny enough, actually applied for a part-time job at 
like one of the something at the mall mm-hmm. and got the job pretty much on the spot. I was like, cool, extra money. Um, they're like, just take your drug test. You got the job. Cool. I've never had to take a drug test in my life for a job. And not that I would fail the test whatsoever, but I just didn't know that you had to take the drug test before your first day. Yeah. So called them, was like, hey, so when they get my schedule, and they're like, oh, you didn't show up to your drug test, and today would have been your first day, and you're no longer eligible to work for us. Oh, brutal. I was like, what do you mean I'm not eligible? Like, I have a big boy job. I'm asking for minimum wage job. Doesn't that automatically qualify me to... Like, I, yeah. if I didn't need to take a drug test for an accounting job, what's going on? They're like, oh, not only not only are you not employed with us, you also aren't allowed to apply for another six months to for work real. for us. So I went home, got really, really mad, ordered my CPA books. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, started studying for my CPI, right? Um and uh, so we were in October, November after graduation. By that summer, I had passed, I believe, two parts of my, no, I passed one, was studying for another, started uh, working for a residential developer. And that's kind of where my passion for real estate came, came from, from. Okay. is uh, working for him, just seeing that the world of real estate, I don't know, it's just, it's fascinating. Was it exciting to you, the more entrepreneurial side of things, just being able to make decisions quicker than you were probably used to with all the bureaucracy of school and CPA stuff or so it wasn't even that it was one being able to solve problems that mattered it was a smaller office and contractually when you get an invoice right being able to say hey this is part of your contract or this is not part of your contract rather than seeing ones and zeros on the screen I saw that like hey me being able to interpret this contract right here right now mm-hmm. impacted the company by thousands of dollars one way or the other right wow. so could, could kind of see how my mistakes cost the company a lot or me doing well helped the company a lot mm-hmm. um, from there bounced around worked for a commercial developer worked for a medical device company worked for a software company that was my last career job and then November of 2020, I purchased um, the Adriana Queen franchise. Which is really where our conversation starts. Yeah. So so you were, what age would that be for you? 28, 29 at that point when you purchased? November 2020, you said? Yeah. So, so late 20s. Yes. Um, 2020, so 1928. 28, yeah. So, so I mean that was the first time you really took a leap of faith in some ways, right? So you're leaving this career. You'd been in career for, gosh, what would that be? Nine years ish, something like that. What was that scary deciding to buy the franchise and go out on your own like that? Yes and no. So you have to remember about four months before that, we watched the entire world. I guess a little bit more than four, but we watched the entire world get shut down and a quarter of everybody pretty much get laid off in the same week, mm-hmm. right? COVID shutdowns come around, people get laid off, some with severance, some without severance. It was and, crazy. Yeah, on the spot, people had no employment. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years of servitude gone, right? Yeah. Now, 
when you work for one employer and they say, you're out, what are your options? Find another job. Right. Start your own thing. Correct. Buy an existing thing. Correct. When you have a business and one of your customers fires you or says, hey, you're going out of business or, hey, um, we're bringing this in-house, what are your options to make up the revenue? Find another customer. I heard a quote um, on a podcast I was listening to a couple of days ago. It's like, if you're an employee, you have one customer. Mm-hmm. You don't have several. You have one customer, and that's really your boss. If, yep. you're, if you have your own show, you've got many. Yep. So that's, that's what you're saying as well. It's just, it's just cool to see. So, but, but you, so you kind of recognize the risk of the situation. You said, listen, I don't really have job security. The job security that comes is really what I create myself. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I had job security. None of my jobs. Like there are jobs I knew that I probably wasn't going to get fired from. Yeah. But at the end of the day, just because your boss isn't going to fire you doesn't mean the owner is not going to sell the company. doesn't mean that an employee or a customer is not going to sue the company for everything there is, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that the founder doesn't retire, right? Mm-hmm. There are, outside of performance, there are risks that can pretty much end your career or end your current job mm-hmm. unless you control your own destiny. And well, you know, I'll, I'll push back on that because one way to control your own destiny is to buy a business and control, you know, your, your, your future. Another way is to up your skills so much that it's just not, not an argument that you're really valuable to whoever can employ you. Without a doubt. Right. Unless that something happens to that company, right? Yeah. Think, Think of some of the largest companies yeah. that have gone belly. Like Lehman Brothers. Yeah, perfect Let's throw example. Them in the ring, right? Mm-hmm. They had some of the best talent in the world, and they still went belly up. Yep. Nobody bailed them out. Right. Bear Stearns. Right. Same thing. It's true. Like, just because you have talent, if you pigeonhole yourself to one entity, mm-hmm. now could those people go and get another job? Without a doubt, when they're that good, yes, they can. Mm-hmm. That being said, there's still that moment of panic. Uncertainty. Of- yeah, you're massively uncertain. I totally get it. Okay, interesting, man. So, but you, you, the other kind of elephant in the room, I guess, would be your age. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you bought the franchise when you were 28. A lot of folks, you know, that I know from school or just in general through being in life, they don't recognize what you just described, which is putting that risk into your own hands until later in life. Mm-hmm. Was there, were there any mentors you had along the way that kind of showed, what opened that up for you? Did you always know you were going to run your own show? Were you reading books? Were you listening to podcasts? How'd you, how'd you get there mentally? So definitely listened to a lot of podcasts, um, read a lot of books, um, like, every good entrepreneur I've read, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Millionaire Next Door, and all the classics, right? Mm -hmm. The Richest Man in Babylon. Um, I've always been an oddity in itself, right? I have never had just one job. It's always a job and the master's program, job and the CPA, Mm -hmm. multiple jobs, jobs and being um, volunteering for a not-for-profit. Like, it's always something. Mm -hmm. Um, I operate best at the... 90 to 95 mark at 100 i get anxiety under 80 i get restless anxiety. i get yeah. anxiety because i feel like i'm forgetting to do things so i operate yep. in that very thin um segment right um you like a full schedule 
Yeah, but it needs to be a full productive schedule, productive. not running around full yep. schedule. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so the one thing that I did know for certain is, one, if I failed and I had to sell the business or write off some of the expenses or whatnot, still cheaper than some people spent on college in comparison to what I spent, Whoa. right? Um, two, when else am I going to do it? And there's always a way to make more money. Like, I don't care what anybody says. If you go outside, everybody has help one inside, right? You can work multiple jobs. You can have a side hustle. You can always make more money. Mm -hmm. You can't relive your life and go, hmm, I wonder if I could have, right? So for me, it was making sure that I don't go, I wonder if I could have. I'm hoping it goes, well, I hope it, I crush it, crush it, right? But even if it doesn't, my mentality was, well, I tried it. At least I tried. I love exactly. that. This show is brought to you by Midstreet Mergers and Acquisitions, a business intermediary based out of Raleigh, North Carolina that specializes in selling businesses generating one to $25 million in revenue throughout the Southeast. If you own a business and are considering an exit, check out their website and contact them at midstreet.com. That's M-I-D-street.com. Now back to the show. That's so tough for some people, man. Some people, they have this analysis paralysis thing. They, they, they want to stay kind of on the safer side. And, you know, I guess a big asterisk to talk about here is that you know, this is something that I believe. I'm curious to hear your take on it too. You know, entrepreneurial ventures and getting involved in small business and being an owner in something. I mean, that is not for everybody. Some people really enjoy living kind of more of a relaxed life or even just like a equally stressful life where they're, they're not the person who's responsible for everything. I mean, I've seen hundreds of business owners at this point and it's like, there's a massive continuum of stress. You know, a lot of people are more on this side of it where they're, you know, really stressed, but there's just a wide variety of people and, and what they're interested in and what what works for them as 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 far as what I've seen. You know, not everybody – it's kind of like, you know, you, this concept of should everybody have a child? This is a thought experiment I'll talk about with some of my friends. It's like does it make sense for everybody – like should everybody have children? I know some crazy people, you know, like they definitely shouldn't be having kids in my opinion. And I think the same is true in the context of employment, not in the same way of you know negativity, but it's just not necessarily a thing that, that everyone has to go do. You know, people are wired differently. Like you talked about, like you have to operate in that 90 to 95%. There are people who are more like 60 and that's okay for them and that's okay, you know? So interesting. So let's talk about it. You said that it costs, you know, relatively similar to a college education. Can you talk through some of the growth you've experienced uh, from of the company from when you bought it to now and how you've scaled it to where you are right now? It's We were talking about this a little while ago, you and I met before, but I'd love for the audience to hear a little bit more like insights about, about the company and how you grew it. So grew it. So from an employee standpoint, when you bought the business, how many employees were in there? Yep. And I just want to clarify one thing. Yeah. My downside would have been the cost of the college education. Got right? it. Got so, it. Okay. Um, when I bought it, I had one two-man crew okay. and a part-timer who would help out from time to time and a project manager. Got it. So three three FTEs and a part-timer. Wow. Okay. And where are you guys at today? So I have three office people full-time and then I have... 
five. Yeah, I have five techs okay. who are, so that's effectively two and a half crews, three office people. I'm involved full time. And then we'll probably touch base about on this a little bit more later, but um, the partner who I purchased the next franchise with, he's also going to be helping me run things on Advantically. Advantically. So, was that five, eight, almost 10? Okay. Wow. Significant growth. That's really cool. One of the things that struck with me when we were having a conversation earlier was that you said, I would never do the sub million dollar thing again. I would never get in before a million dollars. Why? Were you And were you talking about revenue? Yes. Okay. Why? How do I explain this without getting very passionate and swearing? Uh, you can get passionate on the show. The, <laughs> the first million is a grind, man. Um, the first 500, cake, right? The 500 to million mark, you are clawing at everything yourself because you can't afford you can't afford to staff up properly. Yeah. But you also can't afford to grow, right? So the only way you grow is you have to do you have to take on a lot, and you're really fighting for everything, right? Every um, marketing opportunity, every customer, every line item on the invoice. And then when you get to a certain size, people start seeing your trucks everywhere. Um, people start seeing you at all the sort of events. You have a marketing person or an office person to help you. You have a VA, whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. Now, your time's freed up. You don't feel super anxious, like you're overwhelmed, and you can focus on those three to five activities every day that actually make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. You get on the call with, a, with an HR company and say like, hey, what benefits can I offer my guys? Well, that one conversation and figuring out, can I afford this in the budget? That's going to change the trajectory of recruitment for the next 18 months. So next time that I'm down a guy or I'm down a truck, mm -hmm. when I go to post a job, I am more competitive in the same dollar price range, getting higher caliber people, which translates to better work, which translates to more, more people calling back, mm -hmm. right? It's a positive snowball. Mm -hmm. It works the other way too, right? When you're when you're stretched too thin and you're missing appointments or uh, making mistakes, not answering the phone on time, man, yeah, that, that kills me right now. That to be competitive in this space nowadays, you have to pick up the phone. You don't even have to show up for three weeks. You answering the phone makes you competitive now. No right? So that's kind of why the first million is a grind because you have a lot of operation stuff, but you're kind of on your own. You don't have the necessary dispendable, disposable, mm -hmm. expendable income yeah. um, to throw into things. Like, to scale as much. And... Yeah, like there are a lot of fun toys in our industry <laughs> and I want them all, right? <laughs> I'm sure. But certain, to certain things you don't need if you're not doing a certain amount of volume. Yeah, makes sense. And and I've you know we're selling a disaster restoration company right now. I've seen some of those toys. It's it's cool. Um, so, Advanta Clean. Mm -hmm. Why did you uh, why did you choose to go with a franchise versus trying to start your own show? So, let's back up and talk about why I got into restoration. Because you could you could have Lopachenko restoration right now, Artem. I hope you know that. I could. So I needed my crawl space done at my own property. And I got a quote. I was like, well, based on this quote, 
it gets me pretty close on what my down payment needs to be to buy the company. I'll just buy the company and fix it myself. Makes sense, right? Logical. Most people just buy the company as opposed to hiring a professional. So <laughs> I don't know, but okay. <laughs> I actually looked at a series of franchises and businesses. Um, I didn't know anything about Vienna Clean, didn't know anything about our competitors. I just know that I saw a restoration company. I got introduced to the seller, a gentleman by the name of Mark England. Um, later on, I found out that he was franchisee number six. So he's one of the OGs. Wow. Like We're talking Drake and Eminem performing at the Super Bowl. <laughs> OG, right? Just like super knowledgeable, been around for 10 years. Um, people loved him, right? And I knew that people liked him because um, first or second conversation with him during my, I guess, the fact-finding, it was, I must have already signed my NDA. I'm not sure if I even saw the financials yet, but talked to him on the phone, and he was like, yeah, so he was talking about responding to a hurricane. He was like, yeah, so there was an event in Oriental, um, and uh, we went down to dry things out. She's like, yeah, there was this little boutique shop. Mm-hmm. I can remember the woman's name, but he's like, yeah, Miss Betty, um, she had half her store flooded, we dried it out, and then I guess her two sons helped out, and then we ended up helping drying both of their houses. And as soon as he said that, I was like, man, that happened three years ago. He remembers the name of the customer and her two sons. My biggest weak point at that time was just that, right? Just customer facing, uh, not letting anything bother me. And I wanted to buy that business because of him, not because of the brand name or anything, right? And when I bought it, it was conditional on the fact that the first six months, he had to be around to help me out. The training, yeah. Yep. Now, how did you get linked up with him in the first place? Uh, biz by sell. Wow, biz there you go, there you go. Yep. That's awesome, man, wow. But so, but why franchising? Why did why why not start your own thing? I mean, was it because of all the systems and processes that were in place already? You're asking very smart questions. Like, I operate at a, I know eighty percent of the information. The rest I figure out. I was at that eighty percent. I was like, well, the rest I'll figure out, right? Yeah. If I had a good opportunity come up, that was a non-franchising opportunity. I may have bought it, yeah. but the reality is 90% of the listings are going to be franchises, right? A lot of the non-franchised brands, mm-hmm. they either pass down because there is a name attached and yep. the family takes over, mm-hmm. or a lot of times they don't even know to sell, right? With a franchise, a lot of people know- It's already that, built in. Yeah, that you can sell. Some of the mom and pop shops, they don't even know that that's you an option, can really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, plus for them, it's all baked into their network a lot of the times. And they have folks who that's all they do is handle like helping transact and stuff like that. So like McDonald's works that way. Um, okay. So, and, and one thing I do want to talk about eventually is the the real estate investing side, because that, that we've talked about this before, and that fueled a lot of your ability to, to even do these small business enterprises. But real quick, let's talk about um, the handyman services, which you've got coming up, because I'd love to learn more about your thoughts on that. Um what so how did you how did you get involved with that opportunity and and maybe let's just start by talking about dan is that a good way to start talking about that okay so uh, where do we 
Let me just think through how it's going to be the easiest one to go with. Actually, let's go back to the real estate piece. Okay. We'll start there. We'll go back to the Yeah, let's start there. So we mentioned that I'm from Connecticut. I met uh, Dan in Connecticut probably six, seven years ago. I've known him that long, right? Wow. We are both now in Raleigh. No, he did not follow me here, but... Um, I kind of just decided on a whim that I'm going to move to Raleigh, gave my notice without meeting anybody here, having a job. Or That's crazy. Raleigh. It's like, you know what? That spot on the map where everybody's <laughs> going, I'm going there. And my boss is like, well, what if it doesn't work out? I was like, my worst case scenario is I come back and I work across the street. Like, I'm out a couple of thousand dollars from moving costs. Mm-hmm. But then it goes back to my what if yeah. conversation. Right? I love that. I had to find out. Yeah. So, I moved down. He followed me uh, about six months later. But the real estate piece, um, bought my first condo 2015, right around the time I met Dan. Okay. Um, didn't buy anything else until two or three years later. Again, paralysis analysis, trying to go super conservative, like, oh, it needs to have all these... Uh, cost baked in because of what if scenarios mm-hmm. yeah whatever um finally pulled the trigger on a condo in the next complex over um i pretty much just broke even on it i was like you know what who cares mm-hmm. it's not going to retire me it's not going to put me under let me learn my lessons right closed on that february of 18 kid you not a week later a neighbor of mine in my complex like hey heard you just bought a condo. I was like, yeah, I did. She was like, oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm looking to sell my two-bedroom. I was like, you don't There you go. (laughs) I'm eligible for a new primary residence. So bought the one with a 401k loan. That's my 20% down. And then the other one, uh, just put 5% down, got a roommate. And my cost of living actually went down because I had a roommate. Interesting. The other one. So then I was there for about year year and a half um and then when i was moving down to raleigh i wanted a house never bought myself a nice property i've always fixed them up on the way out for my tenants but you've never had one beat up right yeah um most ac units never worked whatever right um it's like you know what i'm gonna move down to raleigh i want a house whatever you want an ac unit that works when you move down to raleigh so then um had a real estate agent I was working with, um, Alex Harder, they call, I don't know if you know him, but he's incredible. Showed us around all these houses, just highest and best, losing left and right. Now, mind you, this is 2019, and it was already stupid at that time. Went to my mortgage uh, lender, I was like, wait a second, I'm eligible for this much of a house. Can I bring you two townhouses for a combined value of that and be approved in the work? Yeah, well. Makes sense to us. Let's do it. So I bought wow. a, another townhouse as a primary and then another townhouse as a rental. Fast forward a year later, bought my first house that was actually, you know, nice AC, everything worked, no uh, repairs needed. Yeah. Bought another primary. Okay. Now, as I'm buying these things, time is helping me out, right? We are in a growth market. So because we're in a growth market, my net worth is growing with those properties the mm-hmm. entire time. My mortgages are being paid off by my tenants. So there's a spread of net worth mm-hmm. happening. One of the major benefits of 
the of leverage and buying multiple properties instead of just buying one property and paying it off. Absolutely. So that helped me with the prequal and being eligible for a franchise, right? They look at your net worth, they look at everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my net worth was real tied into tied in to real estate, but it was significantly better than the bare minimum needed because real estate has been crushing it for the last couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then Dan moves down like a year and a half ago. Um, he started dabbling, he started getting into real estate himself. He bought a, um, he bought his first primary. He's under contract on his first primary. Now, mind you, this is Q4 of 2021. This just happened. Wow. So he's under contract for his new primary. I call him, I'm like, hey, how much cash do you have? And whenever I call him and I ask those questions, he knows like it's either I'm about to ask him something stupid and bizarre or smart and bizarre, but it's never just say, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. (laughs) He's like, why? I was like, there's a condo for sale in Raleigh for 55K. I'm on a way to go look there, look at it. We have two options. Either we buy it in cash or I figure out how to buy it in cash, but I'm buying it. He was like, okay, let's buy it in cash. Toward the place, no, it's a condo, it's a studio, 500 square feet, what can go wrong, right? So, haha. Um, I looked at the HVAC unit, it was fine. Um, toward the unit, there's pretty much no mechanicals. We waived all our, we waived all of our inspections, we waived our due diligence. Wow. We put $10,000 in due diligence mm-hmm. on a $55,000 property. We offered five <laughs> over and we locked it down for 60, it was a one week close. The ironic part of this is that he technically bought that before he ever bought his first primary. Interesting. Luckily, Dan's been saving his entire life, so he had the proper reserves in place, so that did not mess up his uh, portfolio. And he's bought another rental since. But the plan with that one was, let's um, rip it up, fix it up, um, rent it out. We didn't have any debt on it, so. Cash flow would have been great. We figured we should be able to get at least a thousand a month on it. HOAs are like a hundred bucks. Taxes are a hundred bucks. Rents for a thousand. Those numbers made sense to us, right? Mm-hmm. We finished it up. Uh, probably put like ten into it. So if you're tracking the numbers, we're rolling at about seventy at this point. Um, it's like, hey, there is no properties in Raleigh for under one thirty on the market right now. Let's see what happens. He's like, yeah, whatever. Let's see what happens. Listed for 140. We got an offer of like 70 or something stupid like that. Yeah. So didn't even entertain. Lowered the price to 125. The same guy who offered us 70 came back at like 90. Clearly, it's one of those individuals who just needs to have a deal, right? Yep. And told uh, our real estate agent. By the way, same agent I've been using for the last two years. All these transactions, same guy. Okay. Um, texted him back. I was like, look. Tell the buyer, prospective buyer, that if you don't get this, we can just refinance at this, get all of our money out, and we're in a good position, right? So they came back, gave us a list price, cash offer, so there's no appraisal. Wow. Didn't ask for any money at the inspection period, which we took that money to buy an Ace franchise. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's wild, man. Right? So How much did you end up making on that when it was all said and done? So after, before commissions, let's see, it was probably one, how much do we get put in the bank? Let's see if it's 125, whatever's point, whatever point oh five or 125 is like 10 grand, right? Something yeah. like that, um, seven grand. So 116 minus 70, whatever that is, almost 50 grand. Almost 50, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Okay, wow. So that was what you used to buy the Ace Hardware, really. It was like a lot of that. Ace, Ace, Har- uh, Ace Handyman, Ace not handyman. Ace Hardware. Not the, not I the... wish I could get Ace Hardware store for that much. <laughs> yeah, no. But I guess, one of the, I guess one of the lessons I'm trying to convey to the audience that, that you took full advantage of is by buying properties and increasing your net worth, it just gives you a lot more flexibility over what you can do. Like because those all those proper a lot of those properties appreciated, if not all of them, you were able to have more flexibility. You could have done some cash out refinances, you could have sold some properties, and now you have actual money that you can work with to buy a business if you want. Granted, your opinion now is I would never do the less than one million thing ever again. So you would probably need like one fifty. Um, but it's just interesting to to hear that. And 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 that was what fascinated me about your story. It was like real estate was kind of one of the keys that unlocked your entrepreneurial journey. Yep. And I mean, I think being a real estate investor or a landlord, it's kind of like owning a business with training wheels. That's the best way I can describe it, right? Um, Your downside is limited. Your noise and issues are limited, Mm -hmm. but it's still technically a business, right? So you can treat it as a business. You can scale it to whatever you want it to be, but your downside is limited because you're protected by the asset. Mm -hmm. And to your point, having the rentals and also being an adjunct, um, it allowed me to not have to take money out of the business, which allowed for the scaling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where a lot of other individuals get themselves in trouble, right? They buy a business expecting to pull money out or they have to pull money out because they have kids or a family mm-hmm. to support it, whatever it might be, by constantly tapping into the business they're handicapping themselves. Mm-hmm. And going back to the whole fun toy situation and under a million mark, some of those toys, you can't get the quarter million dollar jobs unless you have those toys, exactly. right? You can't grow and make your business a multi-million dollar business on $400 sales, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually you need those grand slams. Bunts are great, right? They still win games and doubles won games, but hitting a couple grand slams in a single game, it feels good, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing that allowed me to scale is I'm not pulling money out of the business, right? I'm relying on things outside the business and just reinvesting all the money into future endeavors or into my business. Mm-hmm. I love that, man. Is it cool seeing Dan start to, from my per- perception, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like he's starting on the path now is how I would kind of describe him. And he's one of your closest friends, if not your closest friend. Is that not really cool to see him starting out? So it's funny. So four years ago, Dan texted me. He's like, hey, can um, can I use your Amazon Prime account to order something? I was like, yeah, whatever. I was like, what are you ordering? He's like, oh, I just need to order myself a uh, some Bluetooth headphones and a weight vest for working out. I was like, hey, do me a favor. Double up the order. Just send me one of each and then get yourself one of each, right? Mm-hmm. Just switch out the credit cards. The reason I did that, because I knew he would spend about five hours of his day researching how to save 
$14 on those things, right? So he's always been that way. Whereas me, I have the mentality of, am I directionally correct? Like, we're going to New York, which way is that? North, okay, great. I'll get on the right highway when I need to, but as long as I'm going north, eventually I hit New York, right? Mm -hmm. I might not be on 995 going the most optimal ways way, but I'll get to New York. Whereas Dan's like, okay, well, let's pre-map everything and you know which gas stations we stop at and which snacks we buy in what time increments to make sure we get there in the fastest way. Fast forward to today, he's just like, yeah, I'm not spending half a day for 70 bucks. I got better things to do. Man, I used to be like that too, and I'm, I've started to change as well. It's it's you realize that progress is more important than perfection, and it's you really have to sit with that concept because for a lot of people, they have this. It's it's like shackles, man. Some people are totally crippled by their own sense of like what needs to happen or what like what's perfect instead of just getting started. And the best way I can describe it is, and by the way. A lot of the franchise owners, other business owners, I see both extremes, right? And it comes down to, are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose, right? If you're playing to win, you can swing for the fences. You're not going to get it every time. As long as it doesn't put you under Mm -hmm. and you're smart about it, like don't swing for the fences before the pitcher throws the ball, right? That's just being silly. Um, But... Try. Try to go for those big opportunities. You're not going to get them all, but try. Set yourself up and be ready for them. Some other owners, they um, they try to hyper-optimize everything down to the lowest penny possible. And while that's important, you can only save so much. Your growth is unlimited, right? Correct. At a certain point, you're better off spending money or chasing revenue, right, than trying to save a couple dollars here and there on mm-hmm. your cost of goods sold or fixed costs or whatever. At the end of the day, there's so many hours in the day, right? I can't be doing sales for 80 hours a week. I'll burn out because I have a business to run. Mm-hmm. I now have a biz dev person whose entire job is to do sales and also help me with marketing and just babysit me when necessary, right? Because my my brain goes in 14 different directions at the same time and she can be like, okay, can we focus on these two things and get them done, right? Yeah. Yes, could I have not spent the money on that salary? Without a doubt. Back to the first million being the grind, right? Not spending that money, or I should say not investing that money into her, mm-hmm. puts me back into that under million dollar grind. Uh, some of the better advantage clean franchisees I was talking to one of them the other day, needed to bounce an idea off of him. He's like, yeah, so, um, you know, it's like, yeah, water's great, fire's great. He's like, had a couple uh, six-figure fire jobs come through this year. We had, um, like, yeah, I had a couple 200 plus thousand dollar water jobs. I'm I'm running this tally. It's like, Mm -hmm. those four jobs is my revenue last year, (laughs) right? So that's a differentiation between playing to win and reinvesting into the business, having the right equipment or the fun toys as I call them, right? Mm -hmm. Having two or three salespeople and an office manager, two productions manager and a customer satisfaction manager, or being a, the estimator and the salesperson and the project manager all at the same time with two crews. And you see it in your business, in your businesses too, right? 
that's a separation between under a million, over a million. It's mindset. There's no question. There's no question. And it's it's also this, this concept that I've talked about again and again of working on the business versus working in the business, which I know you know. Um, how do you balance that at this stage now? I mean, obviously, when you took over, I bet you had to work in the business a lot. And I bet that it was a challenge for you to rip away time to working on the business where you had probably these pressing things that really mattered, you know, that were like urgent job related things. But you also knew like, I really need to start working myself out of certain positions and hiring people and spending time on that. So what, you know, was it a challenge, number one? And how did you, were there any strategies along the way that helped you work on the business? Was it, you know, did you wake up a little bit earlier on some days? Were you grinding at night while everybody, you know, left? Like, how did you make the time for that? Because it's so important. And, and I see so many owners skipping that, just staying involved in the business. They're always going to be the estimator until they sell the company. And there's not nece nothing necessarily wrong with that for them, maybe. But for you, like, I know you want to scale. I know you want to grow. So how, you know, how did you manage that process? So... A lot of bubble gum and duct tape, right? You're just doing our best, right? Um, had a couple of good hires early on. My estimator is great. My project managers I had to switch out. Got a better personality, better fit. Um, so that helped a little bit, right? Still weren't quite there. Fast forward to December of 2021. So just very recently, mm -hmm. I got an office. So before we had a we had a warehouse in Apex. We had some of the equipment over in Clayton in my garage, and then some of the equipment was on the vehicle, right? So if you ever had a water job, we never knew where was what, right? Mm -hmm. So now we have an office with a warehouse. Nice. When we got a roll on the job, we know, yep, go in the back in the warehouse. What do we need? Three D hues, twelve fans, great. Mm -hmm. Let's do four D hues, sixteen fans, some lay flat. It's all in the truck. We'll bring the extra back, right? Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, I hired my biz dev person in January. I onboarded three new hires on the production staff in January. So now we're slowly working towards a culture and standardization. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's helping is Ace and Advanta Clean are going to be sharing an office. So because we're starting Ace together, we want to run Ace properly, right? Have the structure, have the weekly meetings, have mm -hmm. all that done right. Well, I can't do it for one side and not the other, right? So now, because we have a open date of, was it April 11th? April 11th, so like yeah. two, we're two just under two months out. I'm almost being forced to build out the routine, the weekly routine and all the all the systems systems and, and yeah. job responsibilities and all that stuff. So the purchase of one is helping stabilize the other in more ways than just yeah. sharing fixed costs. We're now also gonna be sharing the best practices between the both brands, um, stealing the better of the two ideas and then running both in an even better manner. And so we, we talked about this part briefly before as well, but how were you able to get approval from both franchises on being able to do that? You know, having both under one roof, they, you know, on one hand, they probably see it as a, as a significant benefit because you'll be able to just handle a lot of the customer's issues. On the other hand, it's another brand. So how, how did you, how did you go to them and say, Hey, listen, this is what we're thinking about doing. Can we get approval for this? Yep. So Ace knew from the get-go that I own another brand. Um, 
the reason handyman business is um, you have restoration clients. I'm sure you know one of the biggest problems is you take down the wall or you take down a ceiling. If you need a handyman to come back in, you might be two or three weeks out before somebody can come in there. Telling a customer, hey, I know you have mold on that uh, drywall. We'll be back in two weeks. That doesn't fly. Also, hey, we'll be somebody will be back in two weeks to put this back up also doesn't fly. So they kind of just help the two out. Also, um, so between the cross selling and then being complimentary, mm-hmm. that's how. My territories are also almost a perfect overlap. Wow. I have some areas of Ace that I own for Dana Queen and I have way more Dana Queen territory than Ace, but um, there's significant overlap. The customers are also gonna overlap. and. Ace doesn't touch mold, they don't touch water, they mm-hmm. don't touch duct cleaning, right? So none of that stuff that Advana Queen touches. And Advana Queen, they don't do any handyman stuff. So they're complementary, and I can see where there might be some overlap, like replacing a drywall. Do some Advana Queen owners do it? Sure, right? But it's such a small percentage of everything that gets done that mm-hmm. both brands... Oh, at Advana Queen, they just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to take focus off of Advana Queen just exactly. to go Ace and watch exactly. it go backwards. Yeah. And Ace wants to make sure that we grow the brand properly. And my answer to both of them was, I think that one plus one is going to equal three. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be going to plumbers. And the people I used to compete with, they're now going to be feeding me work at Ace. I'm going to be feeding them work from Ace. Eventually, they're going to be like, well, Advana Queen might not help us out, but Artem does, so Advana Queen's a competitor, but Ace is a $75,000 customer, therefore Artem is a $75,000 customer. So when Artem calls, it doesn't matter which brand I'm calling from, it's a, hey, help me out on the plumbing here. It could be for my own rental. It could be for one of the rentals. But if I call and I say like, hey, any way we can uh, waive a fee on the on the plumbing or, hey, can you not hit me with the weekend rate and just charge me the regular rate? Mm-hmm. Those conversations are gonna be $75,000 conversation rather than brand A being 20,000, brand exactly. B being 40,000 and our rentals being 5,000. It's interesting. So as you're creating, I've got a couple more questions for you, Artem, and I'll let you go and get back to what you're building. As you're building this real estate services, disaster restoration empire, property empire, where are you going with this? What's your what's your vision with it? So do you even have solidified goals of where you'd like to go? Or are you just trying to take it wherever you can and kind of live in the moment and, and continue to progress? How do you think about the future? And do you have a vision for where this is all going? So the right answer would be like, yes, I know exactly what I want. But I don't. Um, I know that... I want to own a portfolio of businesses that operate independently, successfully, Mm -hmm. operate even stronger collectively, and real estate is always going to be at the center of it, right? Whether it be my real estate or other people's real estate, everything is a home services brand, right? Handyman piece feeds restoration, restoration feeds handyman. So what's next? Is it a property management business? Maybe. Do we pick up a HVAC plumbing and electrical later on? Maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where we're going to be three to five years from now. I know that Dan and I do not want to be at 80 hours a week. 
three to five years from now. Yeah. Everybody who knows my personality would call shenanigans and say like, okay, maybe you'll be able to take a vacation, but you're still gonna work 80 hours a week just because of my personality, right? But I we do wanna get to a point where working 20 to 30 hours a week is where we have to be, the rest of it is Extra. on autopilot, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. we can stop this whole constant growth mindset if you want to. If you want to, you want the ability to have that, yeah. I, I love that, man. Um, okay, so wrapping up here, <sighs> What are some of the, and we've talked about some of these, but from what you know now, sitting in your shoes, what are some of the major lessons you've learned along the way that that you continue to live your life by? We've already kind of covered a a couple of them, and and one of those is just kind of the principle of constant progression, moving the needle forward, getting to this point where you're not in this paralysis of analysis mode, taking action. Like you, you, you were in a mode of, you know, you had a corporate job for a while. You were probably diligently saving, buying properties and stuff, but you weren't, you know, it's, it's that snowball that happened over time that now you're at the point where you're making decisions on a daily basis and you can't waste the time writing business plans to figure out where you're going. You have to make decisions and believe in yourself. And even if it's the wrong choice, that's okay. We'll, we'll adjust. We'll go this way next. You know, it's like, So what are some of those other lessons that you've learned along the way that have helped? Can you think of any that come to mind that you'd like to share? If we were sitting down and you were telling me, hey, this is, you know, you're you're looking in my shoes about what I'd like to do. Jonah, here's what I would recommend. Yeah, I mean, even going back to like early college, right? I think your first few jobs, and I'm not the first one to say this, your first few jobs are all about learning, forget the income, right? If I could do it all over again, I would be an intern as a, uh, I would try to be an executive assistant for somebody for free, right? A business owner, I would be their admin. If that's a career I wanted, just Mm -hmm. learn everything I could. That education pays dividends in ways you can't um, even calculate. The other thing is that I'm a big believer that every book I've ever read has earned me thousands of dollars. Couldn't tell you which book is going to be a $50,000 book, which book is going to be a $10 book. However, I will tell you this, that if you don't read the five $10 books, when you read that $50,000 book, it's not going to connect. So constantly read, constantly educate myself. And from time to time, it clicks. Mm. And the third lesson, which piggybacks off of that, is 1% better. People think like, oh, 1%, like big deal. $1 or a dollar and a penny. Most people don't care, right? But the difference at 1% better when you're talking about businesses or sport professionals, like Michael Phelps, uh, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, pick some of the greatest players ever. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars on diet, nutrition, and coaching to be, what, a quarter of a percent, a tenth of a percent better, because that tenth of a percent is elite versus mm-hmm. pro, right? Now, the difference between pro and college, it might be a couple percentage points, right? But it's not that much different. Tell you what, if you and I tried to run a 40-yard dash against the slowest NFL player right now, I guarantee you they'll smoke us. 100%. <laughs> but the difference between the slowest and the fastest quarter of a percent, or yeah. I'm sorry, quarter of a second, a second. If I race the slowest guy, it'll be like, what? 
he runs a five and a half 40 yard dash i run it eventually (laughs) (laughs) right so that those i guess are three lessons just learn as much as you can take the opportunities to learn right take the free internships um work for free volunteer read books and eventually all the things you learn they stack and i was just talking to dan about this i was like you know i run my businesses the same way that my employers used to run businesses so one business was very good at buying revenue Mm. right meaning they would acquire a smaller customer or a book of business and that's how they would grow by multiples and that's kind of how my mindset is like oh is there a retiring plumber whose book of business i can acquire and tuck them in and pay them a couple dollars for um the book of business or their consulting or their referrals right that's kind of how my brain works Hmm. if i had different experience in my corporate i'd run my business entirely different interesting and everything you do is going to impact you in the future we're going to end it there, Artem. That was awesome, man. Thank you for, for coming. Um, lastly, how can people support you? You know, if, they're, if they need some help with their house, where do they go? What can they do? And how can they reach out to you? So the if it's a restoration thing, so fire, water, mold, duct cleaning, odor control, um, advantageclean.com. I think it's backslash carry dash NC. Um, but I'll link to it. If you go to Advantage Clean, type in your zip code. Even if you're outside my territory, you pop in your zip code, the closest franchise is gonna help you out. That's the beauty of franchising, right? There you go. They can help you out. As far as Ace, we're gonna be uh, Ace Handyman Services, Greater Triangle and Johnson County. We don't even have a website yet. So, uh, <laughs> I, I can link to it eventually. <laughs> and you guys are opening April 11th, right? April 11th is when we are opening, um, I believe the, f- the first week we'll be doing friends and family okay. and the week after we open the doors for everybody very good man Artem, thanks for coming on the show i appreciate it man thanks for having me this episode of owner operated is sponsored by on tops roofing a family-owned and operated business servicing the triangle area of north carolina since 1991 with a long-standing commitment to quality work and customer service on tops has grown to be recognized as one of the most respected roofing contractors in the triangle They offer roofing work, window replacements, siding replacements, and gutter installation services. Check them out at ontopsroofing.com. That's ontopsroofing.com. Thank you for listening to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at jonapalone.com, where I share the takeaways from each episode and share any resources or tips I find valuable. And if you liked the episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the show grow and send it to a friend that you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much.